Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. Yes, you're right, Galatians chapter 5. So please open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 and let us continue our study of this wonderful yet so important section of God's Word. In Galatians 5.22, Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There's a show on Netflix. I'm not sure if you are familiar with Netflix, but if you are, you might have seen the show. My family watched it recently, and it's called, Is It Cake? Is It Cake? And the whole idea behind this show is that the contestants must look at two items in front of them and determine which one is real and which one is cake, or I guess fake, if you can say it that way. So, for example, they make this hamburger, and the one is a real one, and the one is actually a piece of cake that looks like a hamburger. Or they make this big pineapple, you must guess which one is real and which one is not. And the process of determining which one is real is actually very challenging because you look at them and they seem so similar. They look the same on the outside. But once you cut it open, it becomes very clear which one is actually just full of cake. Now, when others might look at the fruit that are hanging on your tree, what will they see? What will they see? Will it be clear to them what is real? Because when it comes to the, the first fruit of, the, of Paul's list of the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, it's not hard for people to be fooled in thinking that because they're so busy with other people, they are actually just busy loving themselves. Because many might even say about you, he or she is such a nice person who does all these kind and, and loving things. But when you cut the fruit open, it might not be the real love of God that is on the inside. Last week we started introducing the fruit of the Spirit and we saw that God's plan has always been that His people should bear the fruit of His nature and thus extend His love and glory to the rest of the world. We saw that the power to do this comes from the Holy Spirit. And we'll see again today that real Christ-like love comes from the Spirit of God that is at work in someone's life. Because we also said that this is how God is busy changing the world. This is how God is busy making the world new again. 
by rescuing sinners like us from a life of the flesh and then enabling us to image Him by making us bear all this Christ-like fruit that displays His character to one another in the context of the local church. And as a result, that's going to impact the rest of the world. Which means the fruit of the Spirit have massive implications for what God is doing in the world right now. The fruit of the Spirit has massive implications for what God is busy doing in the world right now. And the first one we're going to look at today is the fruit of love. It's the fruit of love. We've already spoken a little bit about love when Paul wrote to the Galatians back in chapter 5 and 6 and saying that, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. This is where what you believe impacts what you do. Because the churches in Galatia are in a mess. People are fighting with each other. There's this separation going on and these cliques are starting to form where people are in conflict with each other trying to persuade others to keep the law. And Paul responds to this saying that it's actually when you are serving others in love that you avoid all this conflict because then you are fulfilling the law. Which made it clear that there are people in the church who do not really understand the love of God. And we know that the Bible has a lot to say about love. Because the whole story of the Bible is actually a love story, right? But one reality about love from the New Testament is that we are commanded to love. We are commanded to love. Jesus said to the disciples in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So you stop and think about that because God calls us to this high Christ-like standard of loving other people and He commands us to do it because as we have said for so many weeks now, we have this fallen flesh who rather wants to love itself instead. Another passage that comes to mind when we think about biblical love because we memorized it early in the year is Romans 5 verse 5 which says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So think about that again, because where does the ability to love other people come from? Where does the ability to love God and other people in the same way Jesus loved us come from? It comes from God and it comes to us how? By being poured into our hearts by God. It comes from outside of us to produce a work inside of us that is again displayed in how we treat other people. Which means that God is not spoon-feeding us with His love. He's not spoon-feeding us with His love. He lavishly poured His love into our hearts, which is like saying, it's like the Victoria Falls, or this picture of God's love that is this massive volume of love that has been poured into our hearts. And why? Because God gives you a new heart and He wants you to know and believe and enjoy and trust the love that He has for you in Jesus Christ. 
And that kind of love is going to impact the way you love other people. And this lavish supply of love comes to us through the one who works in us to produce the fruit of love, the Holy Spirit. And so the question then is, if we are to love others like Jesus does, and we have such an abundant supply of love from God in us, can others see and experience the real love of God through us? I like how one pastor said it. This is so good. He said, If it was against the law to love other people, would you be going to prison right now? If it was against the law to love other people, would Living Hope Church's doors be locked? In other words, are you loving people with the real love of Jesus, the kind of love that gets you crucified? Because in order to do that and to know if your fruit of love is real or not, then firstly, you need to think about if you have your own definition of love. Do you have your own definition of love? Because part of our problem is that we have our own versions and standards of when it comes to loving other people. Because it's easy to think you are loving other people when in fact your motivations for loving them is so that you can benefit in some way. Because the way in which the world expresses its love is linked to whatever rules our affections, right? In other words, if you think someone or something is worthy of your love, then they are going to get some of your love. And perhaps you determine their worthiness by what they can do for you. If the object of your affections is money, then you will be nice to people who might give you money. If the object of your affections is feeling important, then it's easier for you to be nice to people who make you feel important. If you look at the fleshy list of Galatians 5, 19 to 21, we see the expressions of what the world thinks love is, but without boundaries. We're talking about sexual immorality and orgies where you are willing to do stuff for others and with others so they can satisfy your desires, and you want to call it love because you love your sin. Or idolatry, where you love other things more than God. Or jealousy, which is loving something God has decided you shouldn't have. These are all perversions of love that end up infecting the church. What about all that conflict we talked about? Because how can you say you love someone with the love of Jesus and think you are displaying the fruit of love, but you are not willing to sit around a table and talk through your issues to have peace and unity in your relationship? Which means your definition of love might come down to what is most comfortable for you. What is most comfortable to you? Because the opposite of love are relationships marked by strife, fits of anger, and envy. And so we don't want to fool ourselves thinking that we are displaying the, the fruit of love when it's not the real thing. When your tree is more like a Christmas tree full of plastic ornaments that is this fake representation of the real thing. Where you try and hang your fruit with your own definition of love and your own efforts. 
It's important that we understand what biblical love is because it affects everything else we do. I think that is why love is the first fruit of the Spirit that Paul mentions here. Because agape love is the form of love that most reflects a personal choice where you willingly give yourself for the good of others. A personal choice where you willingly give yourself for the good of others. Because agape love is love that takes action. Colossians 3.14, Paul says that this kind of love is the glue that binds all these other godly virtues together. He says, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You see that this kind of love needs to be put on. When you get out of bed in the morning, you need to function according to a biblical definition of love. Because as we said last week, the fruit of the Spirit are virtues that are to be pursued in our daily lives with great urgency. Because the fruit of love influences all the other fruit as well. Because for example, you can't say you have the fruit of love but not be patient with other people. Because as we will see, the Bible says love is patient. You can't think you have the fruit of love and not be kind to other people because the Bible says love is kind. And that is because God is not making Christians that are all out of balance. You know, it makes me think of these guys that go to the gym. They have all these muscles up here and these big shoulders and arms and chest, but they risk their lives on these two little toothpicks every day. You see, God wants you to be like all of Christ and His godly character, not just some parts of Him. And the fruit of love impacts everything else we do. That's why the Bible also says, love is the evidence that we know God. 1 John 4, 7. And believers who are led by the Spirit express this kind of biblical love to others. 1 John 3, 11. And so if we're going to know if our fruit is the real deal and not operate according to our own version or our own definition of love, then we need to know what is God's description of love. How does God define love, number two? What does real love look like then? Now again, if we're going to talk about love in the Bible, there's so many passages we can go to, right? So many different passages that help us define and describe what biblical love looks like. But the section that actually fits the context of Galatians so well in Paul's instruction to the church in, is the Paul's instruction to the church in Corinth. I mean, the famous section of love in 1 Corinthians 13, right? Because you remember the church in Corinth, they were also dealing with issues where people were fighting with each other. To see who can be recognized as someone that's important. Because they were fighting for a place of prominence in the church. Because in Corinth there was this conflict going on over spiritual gifts. And in the middle of all this whole explanation about spiritual gifts, Paul takes some time to slow down, elaborate on what real biblical love is and looks like. Showing that there's a better way to live the Christian life. The way of real love. And in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul helps us see how love is the solution to all this quarreling and fighting because he gives the context saying, you can have the gift of speaking in tongues, 
and different languages, but if you don't have real biblical love, then what? Then what comes out of your mouth is actually very irritating. Because you sound like this noisy gong. You can even have prophetic powers and all these great biblical insights to life. But without love, you will come across as being proud and arrogant. And and God says that is nothing. You are nothing. But then look at verse 3. 1 Corinthians 13.3, Paul says, If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but I not have love, I gain nothing. I mean, Paul is saying you can make all these radical sacrifices for other people, but without real biblical love, you gain nothing. That suffering is wasted. I mean, because you can even sacrifice yourself, give your body to be burned. And you would think that surely, if someone gave his body to be burned for someone else, that must be real love, right? Paul says no. Even running into a burning building without true biblical motivation of love, you gain nothing. Because it could be that you're running in there for the wrong reasons makes me think of a story I once saw about a firefighter who ran into a building to help someone else and things got out of hand and he ended up not coming out. And the reason he did it was so that he could prove himself to someone else. He wanted to prove to other people that he is up to the challenge and that he was not afraid. And the problem is even sacrificing yourself for others can feel like a job. When rather it should be this inward disposition and this new inward nature from which genuine actions of love flow. Because then you get to verses 4 to 7 of 1 Corinthians 13 and Paul then explains what real love looks like. And one way to know what real love looks like is by looking at what it doesn't look like. Here in these verses you have several positive and several negative statements to help us understand what real love looks like. So I want to start with all the negatives. Try and start with all the negatives. Paul says that in the middle of verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13, real love does not envy. Real love does not envy. Real love does not get upset when other people prosper. Because real love changes the, I wish that was me, into, I am so happy for you. But you actually really mean it. And how can I know if I really mean it? Well, has your perception or the way you relate to this person changed at all? Do you avoid them? Do you talk positively about them or negatively about them with other people? Real love does not want what others have in a sinful way, but is happy to see them prosper because at the same time, you are content with what God has already given you. I mean, back in Genesis, Joseph's brothers envied the relationship he had with their father, right? And what did they do? The opposite of love, right? They wanted to get rid of him. Real love does not envy and want to get rid of people in your life because you can't have what they have. 
It's happy for other people because real love is content with the abundant love you have in Christ. Next Paul says, real love does not boast. I mean, the word boast here can also be described as bragging. Now the context of Corinthians indicates that some people are bragging because they seem more spiritual than others. They have gifts that others don't and knowledge that others don't and that makes them feel superior and they want other people to know it. I mean, it's like people who constantly compare themselves to others who can't resist letting you know how great they are. As soon as a certain topic comes up that even has the slightest bit of relation to them, they grab hold of that opportunity to let you know how amazing they are. But love does not boast. Proverbs 27.2 says, Let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. In our family devotions at home, I've been talking with my children about the fact that just because you can run faster or swim faster than other kids in your school doesn't mean you should think that you are better than them. We don't want to go through life having the constantly having to tell people how great we think we are. Rather, we want to look at our lives and praise the name of Jesus because of how we are using the gifts He has given us to glorify Him. And so when you're tempted to feel as if you have to make yourself look great, think about the, the real fruit of love in that moment and what that looks like. Because the goal is getting people's eyes on Jesus and not on you. Paul adds that real love is not arrogant. Real love is not arrogant. Now this is someone that is full of himself instead of being full of God's love for them. And the irony is that people can go through a list like Galatians 5, 19 and 21 and see how fleshly and sinful they are and they can still find ways to be proud of themselves. They can see how much sin they have or what they have struggled with in the past or still struggle with now, but they still become full of pride. And this kind of arrogance and pride makes us blind to the love of God. This kind of pride makes you think that at least I'm not like those people. But real love doesn't think like that. Real love doesn't make you think you are like this executive that is too good for other people where you must sort of make yourself stoop down to their blue collar level so that you can show them how great you are. I mean, I think of a simple picture. It's like when Pastor Allen gets down on the floor and sits with the children in the church to tell them a story about Jesus. Not thinking that he is too important for them, that he must sit on this big chair in front of them. Real love does not forget the grace you have been shown in Jesus Christ. Paul then adds, real love is not rude. I think this is where we all go a little bit, uh-oh. Real love is not rude. Now, I've been struggling with my insurance company because I, I need to get my car fixed. And the process that should take like a week or two has now been going on for months. And it's actually still ongoing. And every time I follow up with the person who's helping me with my claim, they inform me that the company will phone to book the car in that's needed and the repairs will be done. I'm still waiting for that phone call. 
And I can see that in my own heart, it's very tempting to feel as if I have the right to become rude with these people. Since they're not giving me the level of service that I expect and what I pay for. But real love is not rude. Real love does not send sarcastic messages and then just add a few emojis at the end and pretend everything is fine. But in your heart, you feel you must let the other person know that you are not happy with what they did. Because usually it's someone that is full of himself and not full of the love of God that thinks that they have a right to be rude to other people. But next Paul says, real love is not insistent on its own way. Not insistent on its own way. Now I will be the first to admit that I like to do a few things a certain way. But you guess what? So does my wife. And you can imagine what kind of marriage we will have if both of us keep on insisting that my way of doing things is the only way of doing it. Because this would be a marriage that is just self-seeking, right? This would be thinking that everyone must do things your way because you have somehow convinced yourself that this is the best way for everyone in the world to do it. Later in 1 Corinthians 10, 24, Paul says, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Because that is what real love does. Real love is actually open to the possibility that others might have a different way of doing things, which doesn't make it wrong. Because real love rather wants what is best for others. And let's be honest, when people do things differently than we would like them, or our culture likes it differently, we might get irritated. But what does Paul say next? Real love is not irritable. Real love is not irritable. And you're like, are you serious, Paul? Everyone gets irritated sometimes. I mean, I could, again, I couldn't help but think about how during my early years of marriage, I really got irritated that my wife would leave the lights on during the day. She would walk into the room and turn on all the lights, and even if the sun is shining brightly outside. And I would go from room to room and turn off all the lights when she's left. But then later I realized that she does that because she really has bad eyesight. She gets severe headaches if the room is too dark. And she kept on reminding me this is what, why she does it. And so the Apostle James would have told me, Andre, you need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You see, it's once I realized that she struggles so much with seeing in the dark that I realized how selfish I was. Because I'm sure there are thousands and thousands of things that I do that irritate her as well as other people. So what makes me think that it's okay for me to get irritated with her? You see, it's usually if someone really irritates you, then eventually it doesn't really matter what they do. All of it bothers you, right? And that's why Paul then adds, real love is not resentful. Real love is not resentful. It does not keep score to see who made the most mistakes. 
It doesn't remember and bring up all the past failures, but rather you reflect and get perspective on the many times you have let others down yourself. Because how many people have been in a conflict with others where the conversation starts with one issue, but then you end up fighting over ten other issues as well? You see, love doesn't keep record. It means that it does not wait for the other person to fix all their wrongs before you want to have anything to do with them again. It doesn't mean you're opening up the savings account where you have all saved up all the wrongs that they've done against you. Because then we get to the last negative Paul mentions. He says in this section about describing real biblical love is that real love does not rejoice in evil. Real love does not rejoice in evil. People who are wicked find joy in evil things of this world. Proverbs 2.14 would say, They rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. In fact, the rest of Proverbs show you that real love does not find joy in sexually perverted things. You see that in chapter 5. It also doesn't find joy when people must fight each other in court over selfish lawsuits. You see that in in Proverbs 6. Because as one commentator says, he says, Those who give themselves over to evil bestow their approval on those who do what is wrong. Those who give themselves over to evil bestow their approval on those who do what is wrong. I think that's why the church in Rome, Paul said in Romans 12, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Despise what is evil. Genuine love despises what is evil and does not want anything to do with it. It doesn't find joy in what is wrong. Like that sexually inappropriate and disgusting things that people have access to on the internet. Genuine love says that I don't want to look at that stuff because if I do, I'm actually saying that I agree that this is fine for people to do all those perverted things. See, one way you love your spouse or your future spouse is by despising what is evil now and loving what is good instead. And all these negatives help us to evaluate what real biblical love then is. Because now we can turn to the positive descriptions of love from 1 Corinthians 13. And so to continue with what Paul is saying in verse 6, he makes the comparison saying that real love doesn't find joy in evil things, but rather it finds joy and pleasure in what is right. Real love rejoices with the truth. In other words, real love loves it when good and righteous things are happening. Actually, think of Barnabas who traveled to Syrian Antioch and he saw that many people were coming to know Jesus as their Savior. And he saw the grace of God at work there and how did he respond? He was glad, Acts 11.23. He wasn't getting upset or jealous or envious of all these other people and that they had so much fruitfulness in the gospel. Because real love is happy when there is fruitfulness in the lives of others. Because when God floods your heart with His His love and His truth, then you develop a greater love for what is true, for what is biblical. 
There's this new kind of excitement in you when you come to open up your Bible. It's like you can't get enough of the goodness of God's Word and His truth because that truth starts to shape everything in your life. Then in verse 7, he continues by making more positive descriptions about real love. He says, love bears all things. Love bears all things. Another translation say, love protects. It covers. It's like a roof that covers. Which is a pretty nice picture of love, right? Protecting and covering others. And the greatest example of of covering would be if you help someone see how Jesus is the one that covers them from the righteous wrath of God. Because Paul often uses the word bear in other places as well, like in 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul says, He bears all things for the sake of the gospel. Which means real love is able to put up with a lot to see other people know Jesus. Real love is able to keep on going even when all your energy is gone. In Colossians 3.13, Paul said, Bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. Because next Paul says, love believes. Love believes. Real love believes all things. Real love believes that people can change. Real love believes that God, the God who changed you, can also change others. Real love believes the best of others and not wanting to throw them under the bus when others make accusations against them. Because real love also hopes. Real love hopes. It's a love that looks to the God who can forgive sins and makes people new, that is still busy making all things new, that makes us hopeful that His promises will bear fruit. And real love is hopeful because God is alive. And because God is alive, there is always hope that things will change and that people can change, even you, even me. Because then Paul says, real love endures all things or perseveres. Real love does not give up. Real love does not forsake people when life gets hard or when the relationships get difficult. Real love doesn't throw in the towel. Because God never throws in the towel with you. And I'm sure there have been times where you felt like this is too hard. Loving this person is just too hard. Especially when they are being mean or rude or arrogant and prideful in the way they relate to you. God says supernatural real love is able to endure. Love endures. It perseveres. Because what did he say in the beginning? Real love is patient. Back to the start of verse 4, right? 1 Corinthians 13. Paul started there by saying positively that love is patient. Love gives people more time because you recognize how patient God is with you. Someone that is impatient often thinks that their time is more important than others. 
think that their priorities are more important than others. Love says, I don't put myself first. I look at the person in front of me, and I love them by being able, willing to slow down. Because when God pours His love into your heart, He makes you someone that makes time for engaging with other people. Someone that is long-suffering. That is willing to wait to see what God is going to do. Because this also is a love that is kind. Love is kind. Because we know it's so easy for us to speak harshly with others about others when you are not getting what you want. It's easy to be mean to others because they touch your idols. But it doesn't make sense for a believer in Jesus to be mean and harsh with other people when they have been shown so much kindness in Jesus Christ. And so there's all these descriptions of this one word, this one fruit, love. This fruit of love. And it shows us that God's definition of love is so very different from the world's definition of love. Because as we've already said this morning, love is not just a feeling. Agape love is loving other people with the love you have been given from God so they might come to experience the love of God as well. And perhaps you recognize that your fruit of love might not always look like the Bible describes here. And you might say, yes, I know I need to love others, but it's hard. Well, that brings us to how we can grow in this fruit of love, because that is when we keep looking at how Jesus loved us. Number three, we can grow even more in love when we look at how Jesus loves us. Because at the beginning of verse 8 here, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, Love is permanent. Love never fails. Love never ends. You see, we're all the, in the context where all these other spiritual gifts will pass away. One thing that will never pass away in this life or in the one to come is love. Nothing in this universe can overcome the love of God and cause it to disappear. And when we look at Jesus and who He is and what He has done for us, then we see how much God loves us and how Jesus' love for us is this exact biblical love. Because Jesus doesn't operate on a different definition of love where He decides whether we are worthy of His love or not. Because what does the Bible say? What did we sing about this morning? Romans 5 verse 8. But God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is the one that runs into the burning building for us. He is the one that shows us how love can be patient. He is the one that shows us how love is kind. He shows us how love is constantly thinking about the good of other people. Because He knows exactly how sinful we are. And He still came to die for us. Knowing exactly how we would reject Him and reject His love, He still drank the bitter cup reserved for me. And so as we go back to the cross, you see that God loves you with this eternal kind of love because He raises Jesus from the dead. 
He pours this powerful, world-changing love into our hearts so that we can show His real love to other people. 2 Corinthians 5.14, Paul said, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore all have died, and He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. And so as you look at this description of love, in 1 Corinthians 13, and you put your name in there in the front. Try and put your name there in the front, and you see how convicting this really is. Because as you look at the fruit of love in your life, what does it look like? Can we say, Andre is patient. Andre is kind. Andre does not envy or boast. Andre does not get arrogant or rude. And you keep going, and it becomes really, really convicting, doesn't it? That is why we must run to the greatest display of love and see that the love of Jesus covers our failures. The love of Jesus shows me that God is patient with me, that He is kind with me, He bears with me, He's not irritable with me. And we see how Jesus' love for us, we are able to follow His example and grow to display that same fruit of love towards others. It is so important as we look at the fruit of love that we recognize our own hearts what is cake or what is fake. What is real and what is not. Because as you think about the implications, we can see that you can even be serving in ministry, but it can be without this real love. You can even serve orphans and plant churches, but it can be without real love. You can even suffer physically for others, but it can be a kind of suffering that is full of envy, irritability, and pride. Yet the more we see the real fruit of love, the more we can identify the fake love in our own lives. And so in one sense, God is calling us to be elephants. And you're like, what? Never forgetting His love towards us. And yet at the same time, He calls us to be like a goldfish as well. Quickly forgetting the wrongs of others and looking for opportunities to love them and serve them instead. And the reality is that the opportunities to love other people, like Jesus loves us, is all around us. It's all around us. The opportunities to love others where it will be costly. Where it will stretch you. Where it would be hard. It's all around us. But one of the reasons we don't see them is because we are blinded by the love we have for ourselves instead. Because real love is a loaded love. And this is the love that God gives us that causes us to not be content if there is conflict in the church. Look at the context again. All this conflict in the church. It is a love that takes the first step towards reconciling relationships, even if you think the other person is the one who is at fault. It is the kind of love that touches the lives of other people, that help them know who is the Savior that we keep on talking about. 
It's the kind of love that we need to pray for because it's the kind of love that Paul prayed that for the Ephesians that they would understand. Ephesians 3.14. We sang about this as well. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He might grant you to be strengthened with the power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend. You need strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, because when we are grounded in the love of God, and start to comprehend how much He loves us in Jesus Christ, then we get the power to display the same love. We start to produce the fruit of love, being filled with the fullness of God. And so let us pray that God helps us to understand how much Jesus really loves us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much as we consider this first fruit of, of love, that we can slow down and recognize that your love never ends. And that through Christ and what He has done, you have poured this massive amount of love into our hearts, Lord. And this love produces fruit because of the Spirit that is at work in our lives. But Father, help us to evaluate. Help us to see some of the areas in our lives where there's this fake kind of love going on. And help us to pursue the biblical definition of love in our lives. Help us not to continue with our own versions. Help us not to be exhausted by relying on our own strength to kind of produce this fruit in our lives. And help us see as we go to the cross and we see Jesus dying. How His blood cleanses us from all our sin. And because He was raised to life, we are raised to newness of life with Him. Being able to obey this command to love one another just as Christ loved us. And so Father, we know sometimes it feels hard and overwhelming. We know that we sometimes want to give up on others and we want to give up on ourselves. But thank you that we can go to the gospel and be reminded that you never give up on us. You love us with an eternal love. And we are secure in that love in Christ. So help us to take the next step of faith even this week and pursue others and reconcile them in love, with them in love. Help us to take the initiative and look for opportunities to display Christ-like love. And help us all to meditate and enjoy and rest in the love that you have for us in Jesus Christ. And we pray all this in His name. Amen.